Mohamed Ibrahim Bam joins us on the line. Malana, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And assalamu alaikum to all the esteemed listeners of Radio Islam. Jazakum wa khairam wa for joining us on the program. It's good to have Malana back with us on the social program. How is Malana keeping? Alhamdulillah, Allah has been kind. We just make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues his afiyat and his kindness upon us uh, and that is uh, something that is uh, very very uh, important and we always uh, look forward to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's kindness grace and his uh, uh, and his continued favors upon us Amin. Uh, Ma, uh, this week on the social program, we're speaking about uh, Malana's recent trip to Sri Lanka. For those that do fo- follow Malana on social media, you probably heard a bit of snippets of that trip, and we'll be discussing, or Malana will be discussing the lessons and the observations uh, of that trip uh, to Sri Lanka, Malana. Uh, yes, I, I think, Malana, it's, it's, not, it's not about... Uh, you know, I went here, I went there, I went there. That's, that's not the purpose. Whenever I do go somewhere, uh, it's always about some of the lessons and some of the memories and maybe some of the observations that we can take into account in our scenario. And, of course, there's always a curiosity and inquiring mind about how Muslims are in other parts of the world. And I think that is uh, one of the reasons why we, we speak about our observations and our trips. Uh, not not to sort of gloat about um, the aspects of why we went and where we went and what we saw, etc. Uh, if it is of uh, relevance, uh, we, we, we make mention of it. But I think there is so much that has happened in Sri Lanka in the past um, decade or so that, that it is really worthwhile for us in, in, in a minority situation to, to take care and to take lessons from. Now, when we, and from the very outset, let me put it forward that we are not, uh, you know, painting a scenario uh, that uh, the same thing can happen here. Uh, yes, we, 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 we keep abreast. We look at the possibilities. We look at um, uh, why it happened there. Uh, is there any possibility of something similar happening here? But we don't take it as a fait accompli that, yes, it's going to happen here or we, we, would, we wish it to happen here. No, by all means, we don't even think about it that way. However, uh, a Muslim is he who's never bitten from the same hole twice. Uh, we need to take lessons from what happens uh, in other parts of the world. And I think what has happened in Sri Lanka in the past decade or so is something that um, is um, uh, a lesson for Muslims in a similar situation uh, like Sri Lanka, the way we are in South Africa. Yeah, so that's what we will be discussing. Well, in terms of interaction from the listeners, uh, we always well, uh, well, well, what, what uh, the listeners can listen in, and if they feel that there is any similar scenarios that we can take lessons from in the uh, Sri Lankan situation, by all means, they can they can join us and give us the input. Before we even start, I mean, see, Sri Lanka is a very beautiful island, right, off the coast uh, of uh, the, the southern part of uh, India, which is next to... Tamil Nadu, Kerala, etc. Now, that is why you find a great amount of Tamil influence in Sri Lanka because the people across the street uh, are very similar to one another in terms of their backgrounds, in terms of the language they speak. And that has had a repercussion uh, in terms of what happens in Sri Lanka compared to what happens in India. Uh, we know that uh, uh, politically they are linked. Rajiv Gandhi, uh, the son of uh, Indira Gandhi, was was 
was assassinated by a Tamil tiger, um, you know, operative because uh, he had helped the Sri Lankan government or something of that sort. So yes, uh, there is there is a link between the two, uh, and of course historically. Uh, Ibn Battuta, many, many years ago, centuries ago, not even many years ago, centuries ago, uh, in his uh, extensive travels, uh, uh, went to this island and he termed it as Sarandib. You know, so Ibn Battuta called Sri Lanka Sarandib. The Arabs who also came to Sri Lanka because of it being on the coast. So you find that there is great amount of Arab influence uh, that was on the coast of Sri Lanka. So Arab traders used to travel extensively uh, for trade, especially from Yemen. So they used to travel on the coast. So the coastal areas, uh, were, we still have Arab influence on the coastal areas. So uh, when, when I was in India, I went to the Jamia Masjid. Uh, there was very rare manuscripts of Arabic books. Uh, so the Imam of the, the Jami Masjid in Crawford is, is uh, Mufti Ashfaq Sap. He is, uh, you know, from, uh, he's a Cockney. And on the Cockan coast, the, the Arab traders used to come and they used to bring Arabic books. And many a times those books used to be left ashore. So he got all of those books and he preserved it in a library. So it is known as Makhtutat, the original manuscripts. So Arab traders used to come past those areas, like, you know, the Kokan coast uh, near, near Mumbai. Uh, and then thereafter they used to come to Sri Lanka. They called the, the, the place Ceylon. Now, the reason why they call it a Ceylon because of the abundant waterfall that you find in uh, the area. So they call it Ceylon. Ceylon means waterfalls. So you'll find on the south... Uh, near Gaul, the city of Gaul, as you go down, and Birewala, etc., or maybe more down there, you find very, very old masjids, very old masjids. And uh, historically, it is said that the Arab uh, traders, when they came, they set up those particular masajid. Uh, one of the very interesting things that uh, during the course of uh, the, the trip, uh, the Ceylon Beitul Mal Fund, uh, which is an uh, organization that uh, works and helps the poor. So, uh, you know, my first trip to Sri Lanka was in 1995. And uh, alhamdulillah, one of the things that one of the families that I've always had a very good relationship uh, who hail from Sri Lanka is the Isadin family. So that time under, they were my host. And uh, the present generation of the Isadin family, uh, you know, the brothers Fazal and, uh, you know, all of them and brother Abdul Malik and some of them are also in South Africa. So they, they were my first host. So in 1995, I laid the foundation stone of the Ceylon Beitul Mal Fund uh, offices. So Alhamdulillah, there's still a plaque there which carries the, my name, and it was good to, to, to rekindle my memories. So they presented me with a book, uh, Iconic Mosques in Sri Lanka, or, or in Ceylon, actually, the Iconic Mosque in Ceylon, which speaks about some of the very historical mosques. One of them, which, of course, I highlighted on my social media post, and I saw Radio Islam also carried on on the Instagram, which was very interesting, uh, which was a masjid that accommodates 15,000 people for for Jummah. So when the Imam came out to meet me after Fajr, they say you only can go there after Fajr because during the course of the day, it's right in the center of the business district. 
you're not going to be able to get any parking, go after Fajr. So the Imam was waiting for me, and he, when he told me outside that, you know, this was a masjid right in the center of the business district, that 15,000 people come for Jummah. So I was quite surprised, and it doesn't look like that from the outside. But when you went inside, it was a six-story building, subhanAllah. And it was a very iconic masjid because it had a very distinctive color, uh, red and white. Uh, which they say that they, they kept the red and white masjid because of the pomegranate and the anar, and the, the, the pomegranate is the fruit of Jannah, and because of that they kept that. So the Ceylon Beit al fun, when I went to visit them because of the historical uh, connection, uh, you know, they presented this book to me. So anyway, you find this, where we started off from is the historical link uh, with Muslims uh, in, in Sri Lanka. So that, that was the history. From there onwards, uh, Muslims have always been uh, part and parcel of Sri Lanka and played a very uh, crucial role uh, in, in the development and in the landscape of Sri Lanka. Uh, there's various, uh, you know, numbers that, that is banded around. Uh, normally they say it is between 8 to 12 percent that Muslims are in Sri Lanka. Uh, and for a great amount of time, they used to hold the balance of power. Uh, there used to be a very prominent uh, Muslim politician uh, who was very well respected. Uh, his name was Ashraf, uh, and he was one of the ministers for many, many years in, in the Sri Lankan political landscape. Uh, he used to have a, a, a party, if I'm not mistaken, subject to correction, he used to be known as the Muslim Congress. And he, his party used to, many a times, which way it swayed, uh, that, that particular party used to, 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 to be in power. So it was quite influential. Muslims business-wise are also very, very influential in the business districts. Uh, they, they are very, uh, you know, uh, influential in the gems, which is one of the uh, things that uh, Sri Lankan business is very well known for, gemstones. Muslims are in the, in, in, uh, quite uh, active in that, uh, even in textiles. So yes, Muslims have always been uh, very uh, prominent role players in the Sri Lankan landscape. Uh, fascinating, Ma. Always good to hear uh, about the uh, different countries and the role that the Muslims are playing in that country and the history uh, of Muslims in that uh, area as well, like Ma mentions uh, about uh, Sri Lanka. Do the listeners interact with us? Let us know your thoughts. If there's anything that you'd like to, uh, or you find any similarities or anything that you'd like to discuss, as Ma goes on to, to mention some of the lessons and the observations of his recent trip to Sri Lanka, drop us a message, uh, or you can even give us a call. Our line are open on 011-0118541548. Why you can continue? Yes, you know, Muslims are always, you know, religiously, culturally, and many other times they were very, very active. The amount of masajid that you have, it's, it's amazing. Uh, in, in every uh, short distance, in every, you know, place, there's, there's masajid throughout, throughout, the, throughout the country. Uh, one area which, which I've never been able to visit, and the brothers this time told me, please, Malana, you must, when you come again, inshallah, if Allah take us away, is the eastern side of um, uh, Sri Lanka. Now, if you look at Sri Lanka, you get the west. Now, Colombo is more towards the west. Uh, and the eastern side is where there's substantial percentage of Muslims. And I believe that is a very beautiful part of, of Sri Lanka. For many years, uh, during the Civil War, uh, it was cut off from, from uh, you know, the world in many ways. Very few people went there because uh, there was military action, etc. Now that it is open, 
Uh, I believe the, the beaches there are very, very you know, beautiful. So the eastern side is where there's great amount of Muslims. Uh, the percentage of Muslims there is larger than in the west. Although Colombo, maybe because of its urban area and because, because being a city, there's substantial amount of Muslims in Colombo. And you see many masjid, masjid, very, very beautiful masjid. You know, and what I've seen this time was quite amazing. When I went in 1995, the masjid were there, were very, very, you know, huge. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, the facilities and resources, uh, this time when you went, you saw, alhamdulillah, the resources were far more greater, and the facilities were much, much better. So in the, in the past, when you went to the masjid, you found straw mats. This time you find proper musallas and carpets that were there. Because of the heat, you found you know, air conditions, and the wuzukhanas were very, very well kept. So it was quite, quite interesting uh, to see that uh, uh, the masjid, that, you know, one of the masjids that I first read, the Jummah, is a very famous and a very big masjid right in the center of the CBD was the Kolpati Masjid. Uh, I went past there and I read Salat there. I didn't make the Jummah this time there. I went to another place where many of the people uh, were professionals and English speaking, so we made a Jummah there. So anyway, Muslims were, were, were very, very well established in terms of masajid, in terms of educational institutes. In fact, you know, when you went in 95, you, you actually... Uh, envied them, you know, in a good way, not in a bad way, because you just admired them. Uh, one of the things that I recall, that uh, there were there's so many jamaats that go out. Tablik is very, very prominent in, in Sri Lanka. And they, they, they used to say that we, we, we don't have ijtimas. So I asked, why don't you have ijtimas? They say that there are so many people who take part in the work that if there is an ijtima, perhaps we won't be able to accommodate the crowd. And it would be just too big uh, a majma and a congregation. So therefore they stayed away. They, even when they used to have, uh, you know, the ijtima, they used to have it in small, small regions rather than a big ijtima uh, because of the amount of people that were in the work of the da'wah and tabligh. So in every way they were, they were prominent. You know, uh, halal certification of foods, uh, educational infrastructure, business-wise, etc. Now, alhamdulillah, they were, they were very good at one of the things that our ulama have always told us, and it's something that we need to, to take lessons. Mu'abul Hassan Nadwi Rahmatullahi, one of our greatest scholars and one of our greatest visionaries in the past few decades, has mentioned that, um, you know, a minority, a minority group must never remain aloof from the majority. The minority must always remain attached and never set themselves apart from the majority in a way that creates aloofness and jealousy from the majority towards the minority. He says that your contribution and your role in society should be such that it is indispensable for the welfare and the benefit of the communities that you are living in and the country that you are living in. Mu'abul Hassan Nadir Rahmatullahi made mention of this in the opening of the Dewsbury Marcus in the United Kingdom. He gave a talk that time. And he told them that. Now, I'm not saying that, um, I'm not even passing judgment with regard to it. I'm just making mention of a common and a general assessment. You cannot remain aloof. Uh, the moment you remain aloof, it gives people the opportunity to create stories and perceptions about you. 
Now, if you look at our South African scenario, we need to we need to ask ourselves the question: How relevant and how beneficial are we to the country? For our own sake, that's a different matter. I know you you're making your money, etc. But what are we giving back? Now, if a majority doesn't give back, maybe perhaps they can get away with it because the majority, we're seeing it happening in our country. But minorities are many a times when there are problems, they are specifically targeted. It's a natural uh, you know, aspect of history, whether you agree with it or not. Certain times there are cycles of history that happens and you can't, uh, you know, uh, you can't stay away from it. it, it it's something that, that uh, uh, takes place. So I think it's an important point that we need to, to, to consider uh, as uh, we go along with regard to the situation in, our, in Sri Lanka. So I think that this is something that I've just sort of painted a scenario. Then, of course, uh, the next part we will make mention of uh, how things change and what were the reasons for their changing mm. and what were, were the uh, circumstances and scenario. So, yes, uh, Ma, that is what it is. And maybe from the listeners, if there's any question that arises from what I've mentioned, by all means, you can, you can ask the questions. And if you want to make any uh, input, by all means. Let us know uh, the lines are open as well. Uh, it's just gone 9.30. This is the social program on Radio Islam International. This morning, uh, Manana Ibrahim Baum speaking about uh, his recent trip to Sri Lanka, uh, lessons and observations of that trip. If you've been there or you have any questions, drop us a message or give us a call. We're going to break for our half-hourly headlines, followed by the ad break. We'll continue on the other side of that. This week on uh, the program, Ma, speaking about uh, Sri Lanka, uh, lessons and observations of uh, Manana's trip to Sri Lanka. Uh, Ma, we just go through um, some of the WhatsApp messages uh, that have come through. Uh, one saying that uh, I visited Sri Lanka in the late 70s. Uh, and all I can say is that it's a really beautiful country uh, with a lot of greenery. Uh, I visited Kandy, Polonarua, uh, and some of the other cities. Mashallah, there's no doubt about it. It is absolutely amazing when you drive between cities uh, to see the, the, the lush uh, landscape and especially the greenery and the, 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 you know, the, the trees, the, the eight uh, palms type of trees. It's, it's amazing. Very, very, mm-hmm. very greenery and a very, I think, an underrated tourist spot. Somehow the other, it doesn't feature when people talk about uh, great uh, tourist spots, but it is, it is one of those places that is worth your visiting. And one message here saying that, uh, Alhamdulillah, my, my late father went to Sri Lanka in Chamat in the, in the 90s. That was his first time that he went for Chamat. Uh, it just made intention, so it shows the power of intention as well. And as Moa mentioned, that uh, the tablik work in that area is very strong. Yes, definitely. Jazakallah for that. Uh, of course, I'm sure there will be many, uh, especially in the line of Tabli, who, who uh, have visited uh, Sri Lanka. And uh, it is one of the places where I know they also come many a times. Many years back, they used to be, I know, of course, one of the people that South Africans would uh, remember very fondly, and he came many a times to uh, South Africa, was Molana Maruf. Now, Molana Maruf was someone that we grew up with. And during the course of this journey, I, I met with two of his sons, and the daughter and the son-in-law came to visit. It was absolutely amazing, and I always reminded them that for us, Mona Maruf was not only a student. He was not only someone that uh, studied with us while we were in, in Karachi, in Binuri town, someone who was our elder, 
Uh, he was four or five years ahead of us, but someone whom we are indebted to. Uh, many of us who were studying that time in our age category uh, would remember that uh, if, for example, any one of us became ill, Morana Maruf used to go out and go and buy vegetables and cook for us and, and look, and look after us. So we, we are very indebted uh, to him, and it was good to, during the course of um, the, the trip to be able to meet with, um, with uh, Morana Maruf's children. Continue to send through your messages, uh, your interactions uh, on the program, anything that you have, anything that you'd like to ask, any similarities that you find uh, from the situation in Sri Lanka, the Muslims there and here in our country, you can let us know on 0727861548 to give us a call. Why can continue? Yes, now, uh, as I was saying, that they, they, they became, you know, very prominent. Now, actually, what happens sometimes when minorities become, and that's why it's something that we, we as a community need to be aware of, you know, conspicuous consumption or living in a way that is, you know, overtly uh, extravagant that does, does bring you into the eyes of other people. So we were, I'm not saying that it is haram. I, I don't want to make those judgments. But it's something that we need to be aware of and be careful with regard to it. Nevertheless, um, uh, they, you know, and of course, sometimes there are also powers that, that can use these type of things for their own benefit. Now, one of the things that you will always find politically is that, uh, you know, many a times uh, for a politician, it helps to have an external enemy. Uh, so an external enemy takes away from the service delivery of uh, the ruling party. Uh, so if you have an external enemy, it's very easy to, to, to blame things on the external enemy. And people get carried away by the external enemy and don't judge the, the, the government for, for what it's doing or not doing. So, of course, then, of course, there's other situations. Now, uh, in, in, in our, in our, in our fit, for example, in our situation, sometimes there is a degree of extremism that comes about. And, um, you know, people think about the ideal. Hussain has made mention that a time will come that uh, nations are going to be made up by nation states. And his view was that in the nation states that you are living in, make yourself indispensable, make yourself beneficial. Right now, sometimes there is a situation, and of course, there was this happened, and this was this exacerbated the situation. It, the Easter bombing took place. Right now, when the Easter bombing took place, the people who were found guilty were Muslims, and they were also killed in the blast. Now, this is where we find a situation. That all of a sudden, uh, the harmony that Muslims were in became threatened. People looked upon them as a third force. And they were, all of a sudden, attacks on the Muslims. Not only attacks, all of a sudden, the visible signs of being a Muslim were being looked upon with apprehension. So all the people were, were, were wearing, you know, abayas, uh, black, black uh, niqabs and abayas, soaps, all of a sudden, when you come out in the open, after the Easter bombings, people looked upon you with apprehension. Even the businesses who used to do business with, with, with the majority and other people, uh, they started looking upon the Muslims with a certain degree of apprehension. And that became a situation of great, uh, you know, challenge for the Muslims. Muslim shops were burned. Uh, Muslims were in certain areas attacked. They came under scrutiny from the media, from the public. And this was the situation. All of a sudden, 
the peace and the harmony that was there, that they lived for so many long, so many, uh, so many, and so many, so such great amount of time, all of a sudden they came under scrutiny because Muslims were found to be responsible for uh, Easter bombings of, of Christian places. Uh, it, it, it was, and you know, it's something that, I don't know how to look at it, and I, I don't want to, again, make a judgment with regard to South Africa. We, we, we need to be careful about this type of situation, something that can happen in South Africa, and all of a sudden, uh, you are under scrutiny. Uh, whereas at the moment, the type of difficulties and challenges you are facing is akin and similar to everyone, right? Similar to everyone in, in the society, irrespective of the religious or ethnic background or the race background, load shedding comes upon people equally. So, uh, but if something happens and all of a sudden you are put upon as someone who is a third force in the country, things can change. So, when this actually happened, there's a time when uh, you have to hand it to the to the old Ceylon Jamiatul Ulama, who then took the matter into their hands, and they 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 played a very important role. They started something that there's always there, but they upped the game with regard to speaking about uh, how do you coexist with your neighbours, even if they are not Muslims. What is the fiqh view with regard to harmony between you and other other people? And that is why, you know, we, we, we need to be aware of that you you as a minority, 3 4%, you can't be sitting in a situation where you feel that um, uh, you can do whatever you want and uh, there is no, uh, you know, uh, repercussions with regard to we, we are part of a neighborhood. We are part of a country in which there are people of different faiths. How, how do you de- deal with them? Yes, we do believe that uh, religiously uh, we are distinct. Uh, we believe in the haqqaniyat and the truthfulness of our religion, but that doesn't take away from you being harmonious with your, with your na- neighbors, being kind, being considerate. Allah Ta'ala in the Holy Quran tells us that. لَا يَنْحَاكُمُ اللَّهُ عَنِ الَّذِينَ لَمْ يُقَاتِلُكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ وَلَمْ يُخْرِجُوكُمْ مِنْ دِيَارِكُمْ Allah does not prevent you with regard to those non-Muslims who are not hostile to you, don't expel you from your homes, that you must be kind to them. You must be considerate to them. You must be good to them. You must be beneficial to them. You must be uh, charitable to them. That is what Islam teaches us. So, uh, you know, all Ceylon Jamaat ulama went uh, more, more visible, although it was always there, to speak about what Islam says about living together in a multicultural, multi-religious society. Islam doesn't say you must go and bomb and kill non-Muslims. Uh, we are living under an ahad. We are living under a pact. And part of that pact is that you can't just go and kill people willy-nilly, even if you have difference of opinion with people of other faiths in other countries. You can't do this in South Africa. You can't go and kill another person because someone else is doing something to Muslims in that country. Uh, ulama and uh, muftis have given clear-cut fatwa and guidelines. It is haram for you to do so. But, you know, these are type of things that we need to be aware of. And uh, that is why we say we need to take these lessons. So, so all of a sudden, Muslims were under the spotlight. And the all Ceylon Jamatul Ulama then started off and they, they printed uh, uh, a statement, a declaration of what is our stance on living in a multicultural and multi-religious society. It is well known. It is now well distributed. What is our view with regard to the unity of the country? So all of those things happen and all Ceylon Jamatul Ulama showed great amount of maturity in dealing with the situation. And 
the situation which was very volatile uh, because of the maturity, uh, slowly, slowly they were able to, to turn the tide which was against Muslims. Something that we need to take a lesson. The United Ulama Council of South Africa recently uh, did a, 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 a webinar uh, on YouTube with the ulama of Sri Lanka to explain how they managed and navigated those turbulent times. And it is something that, uh, that is worthy of listening. It's a one-hour webinar, a one, one, one-and-a-half-hour webinar, which is on, on YouTube. You can, you can access it, and it's worth you to, to listen to it. So anyway, this was how the old Ceylon Jamaica Ulama uh, then turned the tide uh, in terms of the interaction with people of other faiths. Again, we ask ourselves a question. Uh, in South Africa, are we going to be proactive or... Uh, are we waiting to be reactive? May Allah tell never bring it to that situation. But it is something for us uh, to consider and take lessons. Mm. Well, one of the, the questions that has come through from the listeners, and as Molana was mentioning, that after the, the, that, uh, the, the bombings that had taken place, um, uh, there was a call to, 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 to close down a number of madrasas, and there was also, I think, a, a, a call to ban the burqa. Since that, have things changed in Sri Lanka? Yes, things have alhamdulillah changed. Uh, they are still uh, remnants and uh, people are still uh, careful, but by and large, alhamdulillah. And there are reasons for that. One of, of course, is uh, the visible uh, participation and the visible call by the whole Ceylon Jamaat ulama, the ulama of the country, in t- telling Muslims that this is our stance on this matter. We are not calling people to go and kill other Muslims and non-Muslims. It's not, it's not the fatwa. It's not the way of, of, of what, how we are supposed to stay in countries in like Sri Lanka, uh, uh, South Africa and UK uh, or other parts of the world. That is not uh, the way we are supposed to do things. It's, 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 it's not correct. It's a harm. So in that particular way, uh, they were able to turn the tide to, uh, to an extent. And of course, uh, other situations arose uh, which took away the pressure from the Muslims. And one of the things was because of financial mismanagement and other situations, uh, there was a great economic uh, hardship that came upon the people of Sri Lanka to such an extent that they never had enough foreign currency to buy fuel. And there was a great amount of fuel crisis, fuel shortage. Now we talk about load shedding. There was fuel shedding in, in Sri Lanka. Then the people rose up against the political, uh, you know, uh, political authority at that time. And it was such, it was such a, a volatile time that, uh, you know, there were hundreds of thousands marching on the streets and they even walked out towards uh, the, uh, the p- p- presidential palace and the ruler and, uh, at the time had to, 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 to leave uh, his place. So then there was also a realization that, you know, it's, it, these type of things sometimes used as a third for a party to, to, to take away the, the focus from other type of problems that are happening in the country. So people did come to realize that, you see, we, we are in this t- together, and it is not as if one particular community, which, is, which has been blamed and made the scapegoat, uh, are, are in this whole situation. So people did come to realize that did take the pressure away from Muslims. But of course, uh, you still, uh, there, there is still a degree 
of caution in this particular matter that uh, Muslims, by the guidance of the ulama, uh, they do display. Now, you know, because of that uh, economic type of uh, pressure that was there, there wasn't enough foreign currency, there wasn't enough fuel. Now we talk about our load shedding, where you have fuel shedding. So uh, every car, for example, every household, every person, I don't know how the exact system works, but only gets 20 liters fuel a week. I know if it has to happen to me, I'll be in big problem. But um, 20 liters, and you can only fill in uh, at the filling station if you got a, a what they call a code, which is on your on your phone. So you you get a you get a code. You have a um, a type of app uh, which 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 gives you a code, and when you fill in, you have to show that particular app and that particular code which is scanned and then you are given your ration with regard to fuel so obviously then you know sometimes people do use other people's uh, you know different type of um, allocation to be able to continue but it is it is a challenge so you still have uh, the situation where uh, people are allocated and allotted 20 liters of fuel per week uh, I don't know how, how that will, will pan out in our South African scenario. Let's not give the government any ideas, more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So, you know, this was, and then the old Ceylon Jamatul Olema played a very important yeah. role. They went to the different, they, they, they involved in interreligious dialogue. They went to the, in fact, uh, I was speaking to the executive of the old Ceylon Jamatul Olema, uh, they made mention that some of the religious leaders of other faiths played a very prominent role to take away this, uh, the stigma. They, they issued statements. They said that even if they were, the Muslims were... And you know what was amazing is that even beforehand, uh, the, the ulama, the old Ceylon Jamaat ulama, were engaging the intelligence of certain tendencies that could be disastrous. And they, they made mention of that to the authorities, which authorities... Perhaps Allah knows best why didn't take it seriously. And when it did happen, uh, the old Ceylon Jamaat Ulama were able to point out that we had alerted authorities of certain tendencies. Mm. Uh, and then they must keep these things in mind. So then, of course, uh, other religious leaders also played a role with regard to, you know, uh, giving statements and declarations which, uh, to a great degree, uh, did turn the tide of what was happening. So, you know, basically it was a trying time, but with mature leadership, uh, you know, those things were overturned. And alhamdulillah, the situation is not as uh, volatile as it was before. But of course, great lesson that we can learn from this. Uh, my, in terms of uh, you know playing our part, and even though here in South Africa we might be a minority, we have to be involved, we cannot be aloof and so on. There's a message here from one of the listeners that's saying that... <clears throat> Here in South Africa, we have we've already experienced this when uh, the, the the July riots happened and stores were looted. Many Muslims' hearts were then hardened towards helping and supporting local people as they felt that uh, they were betrayed by them. When this looting was happening, uh, people that they were assisting just stood by and uh, and and let this happen. So they feel that in our country, the Muslims, their hearts have now hardened towards helping locals. You see, the one thing that we, we as Muslims correctly complain about is generalization. All right? So if, for example, there are some people doing things that are not correct, right, and maybe a small minority might be doing acts of killing civilians uh, in an unjust and an incorrect manner, uh, then we as Muslims, what we do say? Say, don't, don't generalize. 
don't call all Muslim terrorists. Yeah, how many times do you say that? If there is a small group of people that are doing something, don't call all Muslim terrorists. So when we, we are against generalization, then why are we then generalizing in the same manner? If principally we are telling people that don't generalize, then why are we making the same mistake then? If there are people who have done it from the local community in terms of the looting, then identify the, the culprits or the people. It doesn't make an entire race wrong. And Islam has taught us to be kind to people and considerate, irrespective of their background. I mean, there are so many types of uh, times of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that people were, were against Nabi Karim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, uh, the Saqif, you know, Nabi Karim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam went to the tribe of the Taif, the Saqif, laid a siege, very difficult siege. One month, they, they were not close to a month. They were not successful. And when they were not successful, uh, Nabi Karim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, Saqif has given a great amount of inconvenience, even the same with uh, the tribe of those, etc. Uh, ya Rasulullah cursed them. So, Nabi Karim Sallallahu Alaihi what did Nabi Karim Sallallahu Alaihi do? Allahumma adi those. Allah give hidayah to those. Uh, ya, ya Rasulullah cursed Saqif. Allahumma ahdiq. Allahumma ahdi Saqif. Wa'ati bihim muslimin. And inshallah, this is my, my topic for this, uh, this week's Sira Jalsa. So I give you a sneak preview. Uh, the delegation that came in the presence of Nabi Karim Sallallahu Alaihi and how Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi dealt with them. Allahumma ahdi saqifan. Allah, when I said, Ya Rasulullah, curse the saqif. Look at what and what they did. Nabi Karim Sallallahu Alaihi said, Allahumma ahdi saqif. Allah, give hidayah to saqif and bring them to us as Muslims. So we, we're not supposed to have that type of attitude. Uh, and if there is wrong, it's, it's confined to individuals, not an entire race. How are you going to carry on like that? You can't, you can't carry on in a society like that. Yeah, that's true, Ma. Uh, Ma, there's uh, five minutes left on the program. Yes, and then, of course, you know, because the all Salon Jemutul Ulama are also doing the 100 years of their existence. Now, in 1919, uh, the Jemutul Ulama was established. That led to many Jamaatul Ulamas in other parts of the world uh, established. The Jamaatul Ulama Transvaal, now uh, known as Jamaatul Ulama South Africa, was established in 1923. And inshallah, during the course of the year, we will be doing centenary programs of the Jamaatul Ulama South Africa. We are 100 years in existence. Alhamdulillah, Allah and grace. Uh, and then in 1924, the Jamaatul Ulama Sri Lanka was established. From the Hitri years, this was the, the 100 years of existence. So to, to launch the centenary year, they had a very massive program for which I was invited. And I gave a talk, and that talk I also shared on my social media platforms. If anyone wants to have a copy of the talk, I'm prepared. It's a five to eight minute talk. They can, they can send me a message. Now, in that particular talk, uh, maybe Morana, the Radio Islam can play it one of the days. But it was a very, I was absolutely surprised by the statement they made. Given the, the situation of where Muslims were looked upon, as I said, now they invited all different role players of the society. So there were politicians who were there, the members of parliament were there, the ambassadors of foreign countries were there, Muslim representation, there are 24 districts in Sri Lanka, uh, they were given an allocation, 24 districts to come at this particular centenary program. Over 1,500 people were in this program. Amazing. And, you know, the Muslims made a statement, a statement that was widely carried out by the media, 
by every particular politician, the president, the president was in this particular centenary. So for the purposes and the background for which, under which Muslims underwent, this was a very important statement. And one has to, and one of the reasons, you know, when I was speaking to the whole Silon Jamaat ulama, they told me, said, Alhamdulillah, one of the reasons why we were able to achieve this. And it is something that I want to end off with great emphasis, was because of the unity of the ulama. The reason why we were able to accomplish this was the unity of the ulama. Because of the unity of the ulama, we were able to change the tide. Uh, and of course, it's a lesson. It's a big lesson for us in South Africa. You know, that, that uh, we, we can sometimes uh, get away with things because maybe for whatever reasons. But if ever there has to be something that comes upon Muslims, may Allah forbid. We never, we never ever wish for that place time. Allah must always keep us uh, that we are not attacked because of our religion and we are not identified or singled out. And may Allah always keep it that way. But uh, when, when uh, the chips are down, one of the things that keeps you in good stead is unity. So this is one of the lessons that we learned from, from, from Sri Lanka. Jazakum mm. khair ma'am for sharing with us uh, your lessons and observations of your trip to Sri Lanka. I'm sure there's uh, much that uh, we can take lesson from and that we can uh, think about as well uh, from uh, this program. And uh, Ma, we look forward to, to, to listening to Mana over the weekend with the, the Sirah Jilsons that are taking place. Yes, inshallah. A special request to all the listeners to make special dua for the Sira program, both in Johannesburg and Durban. Alhamdulillah, uh, this year would be the 13th uh, Sir, annual Sirah Jalsa in Nurul Islam, starting off from after Asr with Mufti Mank and uh, Mohamed Suleiman Rabat and myself. Uh, a special request for duas. Please attend, uh, pass on the message to everyone to attend and also uh, make dua for the program, inshallah. Inshallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it a success mm. and may we all benefit from it. Jazakumullah khairan ma'am. We'll speak tomorrow next week, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And that brings us to the end of uh, the program this morning. Uh, it's an air break, and after that, uh, it's the 10 a.m. news bulletin. I'll be back with you a little later. Until then, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.